I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, part two of Melbourne's gangland killings, the underworld war which saw 36 criminal figures murdered, Carl Williams, Tony Mockbell, Mick Gatto, the Morans, and Andrew Benji Veniamin, names that dominated news bulletins in Melbourne during the 12-year murder spree. Welcome again to uh, That's Life, the second part of the uh, the underworld killings in Melbourne, which rocked Melbourne really during that, that period. I mean, I wonder what the world and other states thought about what's going on. Well, I, well, I said last week... There was that awful feeling that well, they're only killing each other, uh, which is not a good look. I mean, this is that, that's cowboy country, you know. That, that's 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 just madness. Um, we we had, um, and of course, we now find out all these years later the lawyer X stuff that came up and came out of that, which is so bad for so many people. I mean, here she was playing both Gobbo's playing both sides of the street. Um, her uncle became governor of <laughs> Victoria. Um, the coppers were using her, I, I think, immorally as well at times. And in the months and maybe years ahead, we're going to see court cases coming up where uh, even people as notorious as Tony Mockbell may get themselves a, a free pass out of jail because the, the evidence against them was polluted. Let's focus on the police side mm. first. The the key figures were uh, Christine Nixon, who apparently didn't know much about it mm. because uh, uh, Simon Overland had not told her anything. And, uh, and, and Ken Jones, the, the English... The English guy, yeah. yeah. He was a former commissioner, I think, in England. Now I know why he and Overland fell out, because Ken Jones was one of the few people who said, this is wrong. He, he thought that... He, that he's come out of it pretty well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he has, and, yeah, and uh, because he thought it was wrong. He's so you've got Simon Overland, and then you've got Graham Ashton as well, yep. who's implicated in, in, in all this. Your thoughts on the role of uh, Simon Overland? He was head of the Piranha Task Force. Yeah, he, he was meeting with Nicola Gobbo. I think that he... Uh, I can see... A, now I know why he and Jones fell out. But I also know now probably why Overland got out of the police force because uh, he must have known, looking back, that he was in an untenable position. And uh, I mean, what they were doing was wrong. I mean, it was legally wrong. They were, you, and they were getting polluted evidence, which even even though they justify the grounds that we got convictions, but you'll see them in the months and years ahead, maybe those convictions will be overturned because it didn't. They, they, were, they were polluted. For, for people who are not up with the story like we are, just explain what All lawyer right. X so the, was the, doing. You had you had Gobbo the lawyer who's representing, and she made a great career and made a lot of money, I presume, representing um, the some of the most um, nasty members of our community and some very famous cases. But what they didn't know, as she was, as, as, allegedly as I would read it, uh, as she was um, getting some of them to dob in some other crims, she's also liaising with the police force who were saying, oh, we want so-and-so, so can you get something on so-and-so? And so Gobbo would go back to her clients 
and get them to dob on, on another client and then the, the cops would say, well, we know this about you and plead guilty and we'll give you a lesser charge. I mean, it was so... It was such a jigsaw, and and they were all in on it. I mean, you know, and 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 she got paid a fortune by by the Victorian taxpayers. And then, of course, she she fled overseas because uh, she 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 refused police protection, and therefore, and also would not appear as a witness. And that was when the Hodson couple were murdered, and people know he's been convicted of that kill those killings. Anthony Dowsley of the Herald Sun mm-hmm. found this story, published the story, and then straight away the police tried to uh, suppress it, uh, went to court. Uh, it went to every court in the land till it finally reached the High Court. And the High Court then uh, released its findings, I think about two or three years ago, where what I remember of what they said about the police behaviour with Lawyer X was it was reprehensible. Hmm. And there's two things here. Keep Go back to a few years. Um, we had the Lawyer X case, as he was called, running in parallel to the Priest X case, which the Herald Sun, to their credit, had been running as well. Priest X was George Pell. And uh, the police managed to get that shut down for a while, his name suppressed. And then you had Lawyer X, and that was Gobbo, and her name was suppressed. So you have these, out there in, in, in newspaper land, people might say, what the hell's going on here, you know? And to their credit, the Herald Sun pushed and pushed as hard as they possibly could. Would have cost them a fortune uh, with their lawyers trying to get through the courts and get this material out to where it should be. And and you will find, I mean, uh, as I said, Gobbo, I think Gobbo got several million dollars, I think, out of all this. I think she got two, $2 million, mm. yeah. Um, the, the thing, though, is that the police tried every manoeuvre they could legally to suppress any of this coming out. Yes. Their argument was that it endangered the life of uh, Nicola Gobbo. That's what they were saying. But of course, I, 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 also, I, 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 I think it endangered the reputation of some coppers. Well, well yeah. <laughs> then we get the High Court, make the ruling. Uh, the ruling was then suppressed for ages. Then it gets released. The day it gets released where it was damning of the Victoria mm. Police behaviour, Graham Ashton, the then Police Chief Commissioner, mm. appears before the media, and I remember him distinctly saying, I stand by all past and serving police in the actions they took. He said they were unusual times. Wow. Um, now, I thought... The moment those words came out of his mouth, he should have been gone. Mm. Uh, and it, it's, it seems... Because you're, you're a police commissioner condoning illegal behaviour, well, rep- reprehensible behaviour. Well, that's right. And there's a term that the Royal Commissioners use that, you know, it's like uh, it's, it's, it's justifying the ends, uh, but the means are wrong. I've forgotten the exact term that, mm. uh, that, that they uh, used. But it's also sending a signal to police that it's okay to skirt around the rules to uh, achieve what you want. I mean, Darren, if the police don't follow the law, mm. what hope have we got? Well, it's almost going back to just down the street from where we're doing this broadcast. Um, um, the police headquarters used to be like t- two houses from me. 
which made it very easy to come and serve me summonses because I didn't have to go very far. Um, well, but, they can walk you. But yeah, but it's like going back to the old days where we used to call it the, uh, the white pages treatment where coppers would smack a, an alleged criminal around the ears with, with, a, with the white pages of the phone book because it didn't leave any marks. And that was, I mean, it was known as the white pages treatment. So right. you rough, them, rough them up a bit. Um, one of the names we haven't mentioned uh, is Mario Condello. Now, the, the, the thing about Mario Condello, he was almost killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Williams and a few other of his goons were caught on the way to commit the crime. Yeah. Uh, and they were arrested near Brighton Cemetery, not far from uh, Condello's home. Yeah, they weren't very good, were they? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Conspiracy uh, to murder. I don't know whether you know this also, but uh, Condello's sons went to Xavier College. Right. Overland's children or son went to Xavier College. They were friends. On one occasion, Overland drove one of his sons to the Condello home for a birthday party. Jeez. <laughs> this is how well, this is weird integrated. Because, this is weird because only a few days ago I had a, a brief um, Twitter exchange with somebody who said, um, Darren, were you a friend of Condello's? And I had a blue, I said, I have no idea what you're talking about and I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever met the man. And that was just out of the blue, somebody, and that was apart from the fact that I said somebody put a photo, a, a Photoshop picture of me up with a couple of other crims, you know. Terence and Christine Hodson, they were police informants. Yeah. They were found executed in their home in Cuba. With their kids in the same house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, were, they were betrayed by corrupt cops in St Kilda. They were, the information about them was leaked to crims from cops. The allegation is against a guy called Dale, uh, Paul Dale, mm. a former drug squad detective. Uh, and Carl Williams apparently had information about that. And uh, the Dale case was coming before the courts and then Carl Williams, was, was unfortunately, mm. was uh, murdered. Mm. Pretty weird times. It was, yeah, because there was a, it was a very weird time because of the timing of, of, of William's um, execution. Um, Dale and his partner, another copper, had supposedly um, grabbed drugs from a drug raid who were going to pass it on and sell them themselves. And I think his partner, whose name I've forgotten, was was was. was Caught with the drugs by a police dog. Uh, Strawhorn is a name that. Uh, and he he, he wasn't the one though. Yeah, he was also corrupt, but he was a different different copper. But the one on the actual raid itself, they were the the, when the drug squad was so addled and riddled, they had to disband it. They they wiped the the group completely. Uh, you didn't know whether they were working for the police. You know, because they were planting drugs to try and catch people. You know, it's a weird. No, 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 no. no. They were, they were, they were doing the drug deals to make money for themselves. You know, yeah. it wasn't like planting drugs to catch a crook. It was, it was, a, it was an industry. It was an industry. And, and in the middle of it all, that's when some papers were released about the Hodgsons that got into 
criminals' hands and proved to all of them, all the crims, that the Hodgsons were police informers. And that's when they were both executed. What do you know about this Kinnebrough fellow? He was supposed to be the, the, the figurehead of the crime in, in, in Melbourne. You know, Graham, mm. Graham Kinnebrough, the monster yeah. they used to call yeah, him. The, the, the monster, yeah. 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 Um, oh, not, not much, not much. But I think it was his photograph that I, yeah, which I'm sure now, it was his photograph that mine was superimposed on the other day <laughs> to make it look like he and I were mates. Uh, no, but they, I mean, he was he was killed, you know. Um, now, he was killed by, um, by uh, in his underpants. But no, he was, he was killed by... Uh, he was killed in the driveway of his home. He was driving his home, that's in, right. In, in yeah. uh, Kew. Uh, I'm not sure who... But he was connected uh, with both sides. Oh, yes, basically. he was. He was, he was, um, he was regarded as a, as, as, as a, you know, a mafioso top lieutenant. That's where I'd, I'd they all came out of the docks. Uh, Did they? Yeah, you know, the Melbourne docks, mm. the Irish sort of... Oh, that's uh, the old... The, the, the Druids Hotel, they used to hang out there. There was a, yeah. One was shot dead. At, I think it was called the Druids. It's now the Water Rat Hotel in South South uh, South Melbourne, South Yarra. Uh, and then Putty Nose, Putty Nose Nichols, he, he supposedly killed himself... But the theory was that he might have been may have been killed as well. I mean, so it's the, the 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 ones we saw in recent years was not unusual. Melbourne Melbourne's got a criminal history going back decades. I mean, I I recall one one funny story from the um, Squizzy Taylor years. I wasn't around. I was too young for that, believe it or not. But Squizzy Taylor was the most notorious Melbourne crim back in the thirties, I guess. Um, and in the movie Squizzy Taylor. Jackie Weaver plays his partner, and I remember going to the, the the premiere of the movie, and not knowing much about it. I knew who he was as a crim, but in the movie, uh, Jackie Jackie's character gets raped, and I actually almost drew blood in her hands. We we're holding hands, and my fingernails were digging into her, into a palm. I, I was so upset as <laughs> so I'm watching this talk about life imitating art or whatever. Judy Moran, now she's yeah. in jail. Yes, she is. Uh, she was convicted, I think, uh, for uh, uh, murdering uh, her husband's brother, her, yep. her, her brother-in-law. Yep. Um, uh, she's a bit of a, a matriarch, crime well, matriarch. Well, she, she, she was a matriarch. You know? I mean, uh, now there'd been an attempt to shoot him once before when he was in his car and it failed from memory. And then uh, she, uh, she's been convicted of this now, so I can say it, she hired people to kill him in a coffee at, at a coffee shop. Um, and uh, she's now doing a substantial time behind bars for it. Um, it as usually it is with, uh, with when, when these crims fall out, it was over a money issue, I think, that she didn't think she was getting as much money as she should. She's very arrogant. I mean, she even, the way she hit her car afterwards and stuff like that, I mean, she was, it was, it was a fairly amateurish crime, actually, and they the convicting him wasn't that hard. Antonius Mockbill. Yeah. The worst wig in history. <laughs> uh, the worst wig in history. Um, look, Mockbell, it was extraordinary the way he got away because he, he lived from, after he got jumped bail, he lived for months in country Victoria. He went to Bonnie Doon. Yeah, Bonnie Doon. And then from there, he took a, rented a car and went across to Perth either towed the boat over or picked the boat up there, I'm not sure which, and uh, and then took a boat 
to Greece. Story I heard was he was seasick all the way to, uh, <laughs> to Greece. On but the he, but he, but he was um, an extraordinary um, thing. He, I mean, they were looking for him for months. He jumped bail, and then he, he lived at Bonnie Doon, I think, four or five months before he finally did the runner, and then. Um, it was a Channel Seven journalist, I think it was, who uh, who found him in in Greece, uh, for some reason wearing this. I mean, you'd, you'd stand out anyway with a, with a, with a with a with a wig that bad, you'd think. But here we got him, Darren. What do you think's going through the brains of these people who get involved in not much this sort of thing? Not what's, much. What's so, some look, some of them, Tony. Some of them actually have seen too many Al Pacino movies, you know, and, so you think uh, it's and Godfather movies. Art, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I said about um, Alphonse the last episode, Alphonse Gangetino. I mean, he he modelled himself on Al Pacino in Serpico. He'd swagger around Carlton in his big black coat, you know, like he owned the place, you know. And and for, I presume he probably did. I doubt he paid for a cup of coffee. Um, but I think they they actually start to take on the the mannerisms and the and the likes of of Godfather movies and uh, and they do think they're invincible and often hire a good enough lawyer you can you can get off. I mean we've seen mafia I mean we've seen mafia leaders in New York who who had Teflon coating that they would go to court and walk away. But who who would want to live looking over their shoulder uh, wondering whether someone's going to, you know, bring out a gun and shoot. They think shoot. they're bigger. I mean, Carl Williams really thought he was bigger than anybody. I'm told he should get pe- his friends to call him the Premier. That he, you know, he actually thought he was that big that he was he running was a, the state of Victoria. Yeah, he ran. He ran Victoria. You know, I remember um, um, I, I, an American crim when I was living over there. His name was Meyer Lansky. Right? Big name in America. Big name, Meyer Lansky, and he he worked out of Florida mostly. And he once boasted to a journal. He said, "We're bigger than General Motors." We're bigger than General Motors. And that's what I think Carl Williams thought. And that's when, when Roberta supposedly said, you haven't got any balls, you haven't shot anybody. He thought, I've, I've got to be a, a big gangster now. But, but I mean, what sort of... Uh, it's not something I could do. C- can you imagine killing someone in cold blood? No. And then moving on and going about your business day after day after day. Wouldn't that be on your brain? Wouldn't you be thinking about it all the time? How could you live with well, yourself? Well, that was you don't, you know. I mean, they, you know, crims kill crims. I, I said last week that um, there was a there was a thing in America and the mafia that you never shot anybody in front of their children, and yet Crazy Joe Gallo was uh, was shot dead in front of his thirteen uh, year old daughter at uh, at Umberto's clam house in uh, Little Italy. We should pay tribute to some of the the good police. Uh, you know, Ron Idles is a guy. Who's well, I mentioned last week. I, I mentioned last week about um, Lawyer X that um, Ken Jones said, put his hand up and said, "This is wrong." Ron Idles was another one who said way back, I think in 2010, I think it was his quote that this could end up in a royal commission. So Ron Idles was one of those decent cops who saw it was what they were doing, and the way they were doing it was wrong. Yeah, but. Did you ever interview uh, someone like an, an Overland? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, not often. He, uh, from memory, I interviewed Overland on the drive show on 3AW. In the studio? Did he actually come in? No, I think it was on the phone. He was he was very evasive. Very evasive. Uh, I did, but then we didn't know what he had in his background. See, we didn't know about Lawyer X in those days. You know, um, I, I never could work out 
why Ken Jones, who seemed to be like a very decent copper, was on the outer with Vic Pohl. He's on the outer because he didn't agree with the tactics. And he and he got he got sque- he got sacked virtually squeezed out. I have a uh, uh, what I think is a good Simon Overland story. Um, two years ago, I was in Italy. I was at the bottom of Italy, a little town called Castro, at the bottom of Puglia, the 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 heel of Italy. The heel, okay, yeah. being a stiletto heel. I'm there looking out over the water toward Albania. You can't see it, but it's the Albania's in the distance. And I'm there taking some photographs. I hear some Australian voices behind mm-hmm. me, and uh, I turn around. I see this tall guy with a beard, orangey sort of beard, and a pork pie hat that he was wearing, and a woman who I assume was his wife, and we start talking, and I said, oh, you're Australians, yeah, whereabouts from? Oh, we come from Melbourne. Oh, we've been driving all over Europe. I said, driving in Italy, that's a bit of a... Oh, my, the woman says, my husband likes to drive. Whereabouts in Melbourne are you? Uh, Richmond? Oh, not far from there. And we're going to conference. What do you do? And he goes, I'm the chief executive of a Melbourne council. <laughs> Which council? He goes, Whittlesey Council. I go, I know who you are. You're Simon Overland. <laughs> so then uh, I started sort of gently probing him for uh, information and we had a conversation about the media and Trump and... And I said, you used to be head of the Piranha Task Force, and I was asking him questions about that. And he volunteered a bit of information because I don't think he realised, uh, you know... Who you were. Halfway across the other side of the world, <laughs> who am I going to meet? At the end of the conversation, he goes, oh, by the way, what do you do? And I said, oh, you're not going to like the <laughs> what I do. I work at 3AW because he did actually have a go at... Uh, Neil Mitchell and uh, and 3AW and uh, and that sort of stuff. So the moral of the story is you never know who you're going to meet yeah. wherever you are in this uh, in this yeah, world. Sure. Well, of course, his his one of his biggest claims to infamy was when he was caught with live ammunition in his possession. That's Overland, isn't it? On, on, a, on a plane trip from Canberra to Melbourne. Oh, I don't, don't have any memory of that. Yeah, he had, he's had, had live bullets in his pocket or somewhere in his, in his briefcase. Yeah. Uh, some of the Victorian police commissioners that you would have dealt with over the years, you know, I remember you saying in a previous uh, podcast, Mick Miller was Mick one Miller of was one the, one best. the best. Mick Miller was the best police commissioner I've ever worked with or against uh, as a journalist. He was, he was good. He made one mistake, and that was the uh, the covering up of the uh, Geelong water scandal, which I didn't agree with at all. But gee, was good, and I, I can tell it again because Paul Barber, my ex producer, my late producer, uh, another journo from some other radio station, said, "How come Hinch gets bloody Mick Miller on every wants him? He's always on Hinch's program. We can't ever get him on." And Paul Barber said, "Haven't you worked it out?" He said, "What?" He said, "Well." Uh, Mick Miller wants to be a radio commentator and Hinch wants to be police commissioner. (laughs) (laughs) Darren, do you think we appoint chief commissioners in the wrong way? Do you think they're a bit too government-tainted? Yes, and and ironically, when you're watching in in this little, by the time this goes to air, we may find out more about this over the the hiring of private security guards uh, in hotels, uh, the the quarantine scandal in Victoria. It now turns out from the various bits of information we have had, and nobody admits that they they made the decision to hire private security guards rather than use um, defence personnel, is that it was made very clear very early on that Graham Ashton, the then police commissioner, 
did not want police to be babysitting tourists. He made it very clear to every police, every minister, and I presume the Premier, he didn't want police to be babysitting quarantine people. And so a decision was made by somebody to have um, have private security guards do the job, and they weren't up to it. The company, the main company that was there was the, the Indigenous company from Sydney who had a power of staff of about 80, 70 or 80 people. They needed 1,700, so they got the extra 1,600 and so... Off, off, off the internet. Uh, it was, you know, it was one of the biggest f ups since Dunkirk. You know? Well, I'd love to do another podcast on that because I'm very passionate about. That. I know you are. Uh, I read, how, you, read how, you every day. I just want to say, how can we possibly allow a situation to be uh, 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 unsolved to, to, to know? Who it was that made yeah. the decision to hire private security in Victoria? T- Tony, let me tell you. I, uh, I did Sunrise the other day and I made the point. I, I covered the Watergate scandal, the cover-up in the 1970s with President Nixon. The biggest crime wasn't the break-in, it was the cover-up. And I said at that time, back then, the chant was, what did the President know and when did he know it? Well, right now in Victoria, it's what? did the Premier know and when did he know it? Because I can't believe that a health minister now gone um, would have not told the Premier. I can't believe her staff wouldn't have told her. I can't believe his chief of staff wouldn't have told him. I mean, this was the decision that they said, yes, we'll get the ADF in and 24 hours later, no, we won't get them in. We'll get private guards. Somebody made that decision, and in my view, it had to be the Premier. And uh, Makakos virtually, in a resignation letter, accused the the, uh, Premier of lying under oath to the Board of Inquiry. Well, that's another podcast. I do (laughs) want to uh, get back to the choosing of a police commissioner in Victoria. Mm -hmm. My, my, My feeling is this. If the government is choosing the police commissioner... And the government has an enormous number of uh, MPs in the parliament. Uh, they've got a lot of power. That's what we've got in Victoria mm. right now. I mean, you know, it's going to take a big election swing for the Labor Party to lose the next election. They mm. may well do, but their majority is so huge. Now, they appoint the police commissioner. It's a big, it takes a big, strong police commissioner to remove himself from underneath the yes. umbrella of the government. Which surprised, disappointed me that Graham Ashton didn't. No. He, he should have been, I think he should have been a much tougher. I, I got on well with him. We, we had a lot of dealings together over my, when I did the jail to justice march and things like that and over uh, the the, uh, the uh, public register of convicted sex offenders and things like that. We got on very well, but I think he hasn't covered himself with glory in this one. Well, now we've got a chief commissioner in Shane Patton mm who was the guy who announced to Victorians that no charges would be laid over the red shirt scandal. Yeah. Now, this is a scandal where MPs signed, clearly, fraudulently signed, statutory declaration stating staff were doing something which they were not. That's right. Not yeah. one person was charged over that. Mm-hmm. Now, how, ca- how can that I, I don't know. The red shirt scandal... Uh, has just disappeared, and it should not have. It should not have. And I mean, you've got to be very careful uh, what you get your staff to do when you're in elected politics. Well, when it's when it's taxpayers' money. That's taxpayers' being money. Used. That's right. That's but right. my point is this, Darren: Should Victoria, when they appoint a police commissioner or, or, or anyone in, but police commissioner in particular, because it's such a a vital position, mm-hmm. 
should it have a two-thirds majority of the of the of the house that's not a bad that's not a bad idea parliament Mm. so at least we've got somebody who's not partisan Mm. Mm. and then probably if the red shirt stuff had come up then Patton wouldn't he wouldn't have got there Probably wouldn't have got there. No, I think he'd probably be a good police commissioner, but well, then then know. the police commissioner or a, an aspiring police commissioner knows that he can't just please the government. Mm. He's got to be balanced. Mm. Mm. Um, well, of course, from memory, Ashton um, got passed over and went and joined the AFP for a while. And then came back as police commissioner. So he had a lot of lot of history, both as an assistant or deputy commissioner here, and then with the AFP, and then back here. But I think um, he didn't cover himself with glory over 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 the uh, hotel quarantine. I mean, I can see why he didn't want cops to be doing this. But I- even now, you you saw that it, it would appear that Premier Andrews um, only brought the curfew in to make life easier for the coppers. That's why I read it. Yeah, well, there was no. Well, the chief health officer says it was not his. Not his idea. Yeah, didn't know. The about police it. say that it was not their recommendation. So, whose recommendation yeah, was yeah, it? Yeah. It was some uh, some middle ranking uh, person in the health department who signed off on it and uh, thought it was a good idea. Yeah. I actually think it was the premier's idea. Well, I think that that will come out. Should come out. Um, we should do another. We should do another week, another COVID one down the track. Yeah. Well, when, when we get a little bit more information, yeah. I guess as as we find out a little bit more about uh, what the inquiry is going to uh, to yeah. to come up with. But at this stage, I would have thought, how can the inquiry make any determination about who it was that made the decision? Well, well, well I mean, okay. How, how can you? I'm interrupting you, but how can you? The premier say. Uh, that the health minister's resignation was the appropriate thing to do, when 12 hours before he said, I have total total confidence in her. Now, obviously you either have confidence in her or you don't. So how could the fact that when he gave his evidence, he says, you know, threw her under the bus, but at, at his daily meetings he said, oh, I have total confidence in all, in all my ministers, otherwise they wouldn't be a minister. Yeah. And, and then just quickly, we've got this guy, Chris Eccles, who is the head of the Premier's department. Yes. Who I think on the 8th of April received an email from the Prime Minister's office of an offer of uh, Defence Force personnel, Mm. and he tells the inquiry he doesn't remember whether he did or he did not pass that information on to the Premier. If, if, if you are a senior member of a Premier's He's on office... $600,000 a year, he Mr. Is indeed, he is indeed, and he, and he gets a, an, an email from the Prime Minister. In fact, they got three emails in about eight days, as I understand it, but you get one from the Prime Minister, wouldn't the first thing you do be say, oh, this is from the PM, and take it straight to your boss? Of course. In two seconds. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, and then when... I mean, even more than that is uh, months go by, you haven't passed it on. Wouldn't you think, oh, I better, shit, I better pass it on. Things are getting bad. I better well, you might think after the third letter from the PM, you may think. Well, yeah, that we, did, we did get something on the 8th of, uh, but then he lets, he lets the Premier appear before PAYAC. Mm. And make the claim that I'm not sure that it's true to say that there was an offer. What gets me is the Premier must have known there was a paper trail. His office must know there was a paper trail. Why did you say months ago we stuffed up? 
You know, we shouldn't have hired private guards. We should have gone with the ADF, and now we are. Anyway, all of this... Next time. All of this gets to the integrity of the people who are governing us. Mm. And people can say, oh, let's worry about the, the that later on. I'm sorry, but the integrity of the people who govern the state of Victoria is crucial in every decision that's made for Victoria. Well, especially when, when, when it's such, such, such economically crippling circumstances and the curfew goes on and this goes on and the 5K limit goes on, you know. It, it, you've got to be able to trust your leaders. Mr Hinch, we have meandered from we one have. topic to another to another, but I've enjoyed it uh, very much. And until uh, next time... Do it again. We'll do it again.